Hello and welcome to Murder in the Central Valley. The Central Valley of California encompasses either all or parts of 19 counties. The valley is about 18,000 square miles and runs north to south, down the center of the state. It's at a lower elevation so the weather conditions are mild, allowing more than 230 crops to be grown here. With this, comes a large population of immigrants to work on farms. This time will be in Lemoore, in Kings County, which is on the southern end of the Central Valley and has a population of about 26,000. It's home to the region's largest military base, Lemoore Naval Air Base, where one serviceman is keeping a dirty secret. The information contained in this podcast is obtained from online sources. All people reported on here are innocent until proven guilty. Most of these crimes have been through the court system and the suspects are either dead or tucked away safely in prison. Due to graphic content, viewer discretion is advised. This week. The Death of Innocence Today we're going back to the year 1995, it's March 27th in the aforementioned Lamore, and 8-year-old Maria Joanna Piceno is at home with her mother, 28-year-old Arcelia Farrell. Arcelia left Mexico about 10 years ago with dreams of a better life. She worked in the cotton and alfalfa fields. Maria had dreams of her own. She told her mom someday she wanted to get married, buy a big house and become a doctor. Because Lamore had such a large military presence, the residents in these parts felt confident and safe in their surroundings. It's that confidence that Arcelia had when she let Maria go to the store all by herself at about 3 p.m. on this day. Maria wanted an after-school snack, so her mother handed her $3 to buy a can of tuna for a sandwich and let her make the two-block trek all by herself. Her daughter, the eldest of three siblings, was a smart, responsible third grader. Maria skipped out the door wearing her favorite color, pink. After about 15 minutes, Farrell had second thoughts and went out to look for her. Closing the apartment door behind her, she realized she locked her keys in the house. So she spent five minutes climbing through the window to retrieve them. By the time she made it to Food King, Maria was nowhere to be found. Speaking only Spanish, Arcelia had a hard time asking people if they had seen Maria. Police were contacted. One store clerk positively identified her with a photo police showed her. Another witness said that he saw Maria down the ice cream aisle in Food King and then again in the makeup aisle in the 99 cent store. A massive search ensued. Police, sheriffs, bloodhound dogs, California Highway Patrol, law enforcement from across the state, and volunteers, searched fields and waterways for any sign of Maria. FBI even got involved with state-of-the-art tools. They took a look at sex offenders within a 100-mile radius, some 1,500 of them. A command post with a hotline was set up to hopefully garner some leads. Within days, hundreds of sightings poured into the center. The problem is sifting out the good from the bad. Some people think they actually saw Maria, and some just like the attention and call in false leads. In child abductions, time is the enemy. Oftentimes, before anyone realizes the child is even missing, it's too late. 
1995 was years before the Amber Alert was created, and the internet was in its infancy stage. The news media plastered Maria's picture all over TV and newspapers. Locals hung up and handed out flyers with Maria's image and description on it. All this would come to an end, two weeks later and about 80 miles south in Poso Creek near Bakersfield. A dad and three sons rafting saw a small fully clothed body laying face down in a sandy creek bed. The little girl that had dreams of someday buying a big house. Getting married, and becoming a doctor, Maria Joanna Piceno, was gone forever. She was dressed in the same clothes that she was wearing on the 27th. An autopsy determined her cause of death was suffocation. She was killed somewhere else and dumped at Poso Creek. They could not find evidence of sexual assault, because decomposition was too advanced. She had a receipt for a can of tuna marked 3.18 p.m., this confirmed the witness's account that she was at the grocery store. But why was she dumped at Poso Creek? Why so far away? The next day a woman called the call center. She identified herself as 33-year-old Donna Holmes, and said she strongly believed her brother is capable of committing this crime. Her information was taken down but she really wasn't taken seriously. About a week later investigators were combing through the calls that came into the center and decided to give Donna the benefit of the doubt. When they met up face to face with her they realized that she was sincere. She told them about her brother, 35-year-old Jean Estel McCurdy. McCurdy, a first-class officer in the military, was stationed in Lamore. He lived in nearby Hanford. Their parents lived in Bakersfield, and Jean would visit them weekly. And Poso Creek, in Bakersfield, is where he used to ride dirt bikes with friends in his youth, he knew all the backroads and hiding places. She also had a dark tale to tell about her brother. Jean molested her. From 1967, when Donna was 5 and Jean was 7, until she was 15. Almost on a daily basis. She recalls a time when her brother killed a kitten by hanging it or strangling it, the memory was fuzzy but she remembered their family passing it off as an accident. Jean said he never wanted to get married and have kids because he would be afraid that he would molest them. She recalls his strange reaction when she gave birth to her daughter. At the hospital he was quiet and distant, and as her daughter got older, he tried to get her to sit on his lap and get her alone. It turns out that Jean was in the area that day too. In the very same shopping center. At the very same time. Let's get to know Jean McCurdy. He was born in Oklahoma City in 1960. When he was a teenager the family moved to the Bakersfield area. From there he joined the Navy and worked on airplanes. He had been deployed at various places across the country and around the world in his 17 years of service. But, he always made his way back to Lemoore, in his spare time he enjoyed teaching children how to bowl. This will be important later. So what was he doing on that fateful day at the same shopping center as Maria? He was at Video Zone renting X-rated movies. Titles like, Millie Vanilla, Star, Sex Challenge, and Sex Punk 2000. In fact McCurdy was on a video renting frenzy that day. He had been to several other video stores in the area, 
where he rented, Faces of Death 1, Faces of Death 2, and Valley of the Dolls. At another he rented, Aria, The Lover, Animal Instincts, Inner Sanctum 2, and Teresa's Tattoo. All this in about half an hour. He may have been watching Maria from each store he went to, hurrying to make his selections and go to the next. Every store a little closer to Maria, now at the 99-cent store. Police confirmed this by video store records. Law enforcement had their person of interest, but Gene McCurdy is in the Navy and had just been deployed halfway around the world on the SS Abraham Lincoln, and they were in Japan. He had cleaned out his apartment in nearby Hanford and left shortly after Maria's body was found. Detectives contacted an NCIS special agent aboard the ship and told them about what they suspect First Class Petty Officer Gene McCurdy had done. Detectives agreed to fly out to the aircraft carrier to interrogate him. On this deployment, his shipmates noticed Gene being unusually quiet and short-tempered. He also had shaved off his mustache, he had always had a well-groomed mustache. After the NCIS agent informed him he was going to be interviewed about the Lamore incident, he looked visibly shaken. He said he felt like he was being watched and talked about. A team of investigators made the journey all the way to Japan and the intense interrogation began. They read him his Miranda rights. Jean said they always tell you to get a lawyer. The interrogators can't recommend whether or not to get counsel. Then Jean continues talking to them. Had he stood firm on wanting a lawyer it would have shut the whole thing down. Several times during the intense meeting he talked about getting a lawyer but then continued talking. They asked him about his mustache, or lack thereof. McCurdy said he didn't want to bring his electric razor on the cruise so he shaved it off. He confessed to being at the video store near Food King. He told them he was worried because he had been near Food King, and he travels to Bakersfield so often that they might think he was involved. He said he felt guilty because he may have witnessed the kidnapping and blocked it from his memory. He said he wanted to be hypnotized to remember. Jean's demeanor kept fluctuating from calm to angry to upset. McCurdy became enraged when he was informed that they had searched his storage unit in Hanford. Detectives found dozens of porno magazines with pictures depicting young women of legal age, shaved pubic areas, dressed like young girls, and in bondage and hundreds of X-rated movies. Also a letter written called, Change, about a child. Jean was mad about them finding the letter, saying it belonged to a friend, as two other people shared the unit with him. Also they found a notebook with movie titles and a rating system. When asked what the ratings were based on, McCurdy was embarrassed to say. Finally after some coaxing he revealed it was the rating of the anal sex scenes. Gene's preference when having actual sex is anal, he told detectives. He admitted to having a good side and a bad side. The good side would never hurt a child, but the bad side might even have sex with one. After the long session, finally he confessed to the kidnap, rape and murder of Maria. When asked how he was able to get Piceno in and out of his house without detection. Jean said he brought her in through the back door and then carried her covered body out the back after the murder. Police got their confession, but could it be used in court? Were his rights violated? Every time he asked about a lawyer, he continued talking. They considered that waiving his rights.
In the end Jean was arrested and brought back to Kings County to stand trial. In the meantime, the investigation continued. Enter Michael Jackson. <laughs> Not that Michael Jackson. This MJ happened to be visiting family in Lamore and stopped at the Food King for some orange juice. About 15 feet away, he saw a guy matching McCurdy's description with a well-groomed mustache and wearing dark sunglasses. He was holding a little Hispanic girl's hand and leading her to a Chevy S10 pickup truck. As they got closer he could no longer see her as she was on the passenger side of the truck. The man closed the door and quickly went around to his side of the truck and the two drove off. Michael said it looked suspicious but he wasn't sure. Then, he saw Jean's picture in the newspaper. He drew a mustache and sunglasses on Jean's mugshot. Jackson was certain this was the same man. He didn't trust the police, so he was reluctant to come forward. He felt guilty because he could have saved her. Michael was worried cops were going to think he kidnapped and murdered Maria, but he was so disturbed by what had happened he was having a hard time sleeping. Finally, he visited the police department to make a statement. Meanwhile, investigators decided to go door to door around McCurdy's old residence. Detectives knocked on the door of a young couple that lived right next door to him. They were more than happy to tell them about McCurdy. They said he was weird, creepy and awkward. He would try to talk to the woman in the parking lot. One time he told her that he could hear her last night. Insinuating he heard her and her boyfriend having sex. On the night of March 27th the boyfriend heard a loud scream. It sounded like a girl in extreme distress. Thinking it was from outside he quickly looked out the front door and saw nothing. He told investigators to look into Allie and Smith. She used to live next door to him on the other side and may have been romantically involved with Jean. She had moved away as well. Back at the station, detectives located Miss Smith. Like McCurdy, she too was in the Navy and is now deployed in Guam. After making a few phone calls to the Navy and explaining the situation, they put her on the first flight back to the U.S. to tell police what she knew about Jean. When Smith arrived at the police station, she had a lot to tell them about McCurdy. She was going through a divorce and might have been a little vulnerable. She invited Jean over to watch TV. Things started to get a little serious. Jean explained to her that he was into anal sex and sex toys. She informed him she wasn't interested in that, so Jean wasn't interested in her sexually. So, they just became friends. He would come over and watch TV a couple of times a week. She said on March 27th, the day of the disappearance, her mom was visiting. She went upstairs to use the bathroom. At the top of the stairs, she could hear what sounded like a child crying next door. When she asked Alien if Jean had any kids, she said no, maybe it was the TV. The next day, Jean came over to watch TV. During the show the news cut in to report about Maria. He got really upset. He said he hated when they interrupt his show, even for a missing child. The next day his mustache was shaved off. In the past he told her that he would never shave it off because he thought it made him look like a little kid. Meanwhile detectives were back at Poso Creek looking for more evidence now that the water levels were lower. Upstream from where Maria's body was recovered, a shower curtain and a bowling ball was found. 
It was a child's ball. Remember Jean used to teach kids how to bowl. The theory is that after McCurdy killed Maria, he wrapped her in a shower curtain, along with a kid's bowling ball to weigh her down and brought her here and dumped her in hopes her body would stay submerged long enough to destroy any evidence. In a preliminary hearing some of the statements McCurdy made were thrown out because as we discussed earlier that interrogators read him his Miranda rights but every time Jean mentioned getting a lawyer, he would continue talking. Jean was to stand trial for kidnapping, rape, sodomy, lewd and lascivious acts during a homicide. In January 1997 the trial began. Witness Michael Jackson's integrity would come into question as he picked up a felony charge while waiting to testify. Surprisingly, a Curdy took the stand. He was asked what he had done on that day. He said he left his parents' home near Bakersfield, stopped in Fresno and rented 12 X-rated movies, then to Lamore and rented nine more. When asked how he could possibly watch that many porn movies in such a short time, get this. Gene said he fast-forwards past the sex scenes and just watches the acting. Pizza delivery. I suppose it's like reading Playboy magazine just for the articles. The trial lasted a few weeks. The jury went to deliberate, and while out, there was a kerfuffle. In 1994, a year before Maria was kidnapped and murdered, another little girl was kidnapped and murdered. She was 10-year-old Angelica Ramirez. While at a swap meet in nearby Visalia, Ramirez was allowed to go to the restroom by herself. She disappeared and her body was found in a field two days later. She had been raped and suffocated. Tulare County sheriffs had made an arrest in the case. During the interrogation the suspect confessed to killing Ramirez, and in a stunning admission, he said he killed Piceno too. Kings County investigators had to quickly pull it together and go talk to this new suspect. Mind you, while all this was going on, the jury was out on the Gene McCurdy trial. When interviewing the suspect it was obvious this man did not kill Maria. In fact, he hadn't killed anybody. Later, DNA evidence taken from Angelina's body cleared him and Jean. Sadly, there has never been an arrest for the Ramirez murder. Meanwhile, back in Kings County, the jury came back. Jean Estel McCurdy was found guilty. Guilty of murder with the special circumstance of kidnapping, and kidnapping to commit a lewd act on a child under 14. He was sentenced to death on January 31, 1997. Gene McCurdy sits on death row to this day. He appealed his conviction in 2014 but a new trial was denied. The question is, with McCurdy being deployed all across the country, are there more victims out there? We may never know. It's truly sad in the game of life, when fate tosses the dice, and a child and a pedophile land on the same space. And that's this week's episode. Next time. Yes, I have not spoken to the press because I am not the focus of this. It's finding Lacey that's the focus of this. I know, but you're the husband. Yes, I am. In 2003, while the media was focused like a laser on the Lacey Peterson murder, a few miles away another woman named Lacey was murdered. This one, the media barely even noticed. A mystery that took over a decade to solve. Don't miss, Episode 5. Dead and Forgotten, Modesto's Other Lacey. On Murder in the Central Valley. 
I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you liked what you've heard, leave a comment down below, and tell a friend. And don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can also listen at murderinthecentralvalley.com, and if you have a case you think I should cover, email me at murderinthecentralvalley at gmail.com, thank you.